0: Blog Talk Radio
1: Good morning, good morning Good morning out there in Blog Talk Radio land Our off-the-shelf listeners Our loyal listeners who've been with us here Oh my goodness, you guys, 14 years And then uh, the people who might be Just tuning in for the first time And we're definitely going to uh introduce the show so you can, for those of you who, this is your first time tuning in to Off the Shelf, you can know who is this lady speaking and what is this show about. But before we begin, I just want to let you know, if this is your first time, you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show, Off the Shelf. And here's a thought that I just want to start with before I introduce our guest this morning that I'm excited to uh, bring in front of you and then We'll learn more about his writing and why he chose to write the types of books he wrote and the characters in his stories and what kids think about these books. But here's his thought: first of all, success is no accident. It is hard work, perseverance, learning, studying sacrifice and most of all love of what you're doing or learning to do and that's from Peleon. He was a he was a very successful soccer player uh years ago. But success is no accident. It doesn't just happen. I think sometimes we want things to be magical and just to happen. But it's hard work, perseverance, learning, studying, sacrifice and most of all love of of what you're doing or learning to do. Again, that's from We are coming down, you guys, to our last Saturday in May 2019. And have you yet, have you yet gotten a copy of Love for Over Me if you value mystery? You tell yourself I love mystery books. I would ask you why you haven't gotten a copy of Love for Over Me and relationships. There is a complicated father son relationship in Love for Over Me. The father has untreated alcoholism, but if you read that story and you see the changes in the father at the end of that book, there's a, a movie that I saw. Uh, I can only imagine is similar in some aspects to that. And 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 you value relationships. There's also Four friends in here that meet in college, and this friendship is the bond is everlasting and a soulmate relationship. So there are relationships, and there's a murder mystery. Curious to know if you can figure out who done it before it's revealed at the end of Love, Poor, Over Me. It's May 25th, 2019. Why don't you have a copy of Love, Poor, Over Me yet? You can get it in ebook or in print format. All you got to do is at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can just click over there, get your copy, start enjoying it this weekend. Love for Over Me by Denise Turney. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. Now our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Kevin Coolidge. Kevin is the founder of Totally Ninja Raccoons. Don't you love that name? Totally, Totally Ninja Raccoons he has authored 11 books many in the Totally Ninja Raccoons book series and his works he works with students generally at the fourth grade level but across different school grade levels and he also operates My Shelf Books and Gifts with his wife Casey and we encourage you to visit Kevin online at and if he has any other websites we'll ask him to share them with us when he comes on but his website is authorbookings.com, dot com, and it's spelled just the way it sounds: Arthur Bookings, A U T H O R, B O O K I N G S. Arthurbookings dot com forward slash members forward slash Kevin Dash Coolidge, and that's K E V I N Dash K O O C C O O L I D G E K E V I N Dash C O O L I D G E. So I'm gonna do it again. ArthurBookings.com forward slash members forward slash Kevin dash Coolidge with a C. Let's give Kevin a warm off the shelf Books Talk Radio welcome. Welcome to off the shelf, Kevin.
0: Thank you, Denise, and good morning to you.
1: It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you here. I enjoyed, you know, when I researched for. It, uh, each of the shows, I learn I learn about the guests when I'm doing my research, and then even more, of course, doing the interviews. And every guest has always said something that has blessed me, or that I feel like, wow, that's a new way to see that. And curious and excited to see what you will share this morning. Now, the first few questions that I'm going to ask you, um, Kevin, I ask every guest that comes on off the shelf just to give our listeners a little backstory on the guest before. Launch right into the interview. So, to begin, would you please tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up?
0: Well, I grew up in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania, which is a little rural rural town in north central Pennsylvania, about 20 miles from the um, New York State border, and that's where I live now. I I, I I did go off to college in Wisconsin, and I lived in Colorado for a number of years. But this is where I grew up this is where my heart is and I moved back uh, when I was growing up I'm I just turned 50 here this this month and so when I grew up there wasn't the internet uh, there wasn't you know we had we got three channels of television two of them didn't come in most of the time so I grew up reading a lot and I come from a family that that reads a lot both my my parents and my grandparents and my great grandparents were all very uh, very big readers. I grew up loving the library and the and books and you know that I feel that was very important for for where I am today having a bookstore that I run with my lovely wife and being a writer and choosing specifically to to write mostly for the for children because that's where it's it's most important. That's when if you don't embrace reading as a child, it is going to be very hard Later in life, it's never too late to become a reader, but I feel the earlier the better.
1: You know what, and I, I, I do agree with that, and I'm so glad. I, my aunt used to read to us, my Aunt Pat, but I I just loved books. It was almost organic, and I, I don't remember anybody really pushing it. My siblings weren't into, my sister's a school teacher now, but they weren't into reading like I was, but I think it does Start early, and I'm. I, when I take, when I was in Atlanta, I take the MARTA, or I see people. I always see somebody with a, a book. Whether and you know a lot of people now they're e-books, but people still love to read. There's a lot of books that come out, but it's still something that people treasure and love great stories. So you grew up reading a lot when you were a kid. I remember the three channels and, you know, just only a few of them coming in. But when you were a kid and you dreamed about what you could do when you became an adult, what did you want to become? What did you dream of becoming when you were a kid?
0: Well, I grew up loving animals, and, of course, I still love animals. Most of my books are about animals. I actually wanted to be... A veterinarian for for most of my uh, most of my childhood and when I got a little bit older I you know I, I still was interested in being a veterinarian but I didn't really have the money for that much school so actually I started off when I went to college in environmental science so oh and like and that love of animals like really carried over because even though I am I'm, I'm I have a background in environmental science, but even though I don't do that, I have a bookstore. Like all my books are about animals. Of course, the totally ninja raccoons, but I have several I have several picture books and I have a my one of my latest picture books is Molly the dog with diabetes and that's a real dog. And I have my other picture book is Hobo the the cat and Hobo finds a home and that was my first cat, so my love of animals is No, I I feel comes across in all my books.
1: Ah, you know what? And then you know, as I was doing the research to our listeners for today's show, I was really surprised by this. Who knew that Pennsylvania had a Grand Canyon? And how far is it from Philadelphia? I was really surprised because I used to live in Ben Salem, which is a little north of of, uh, Center City Philadelphia. I don't recall ever hearing about it. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. How far is that? So it's about three and a half,
0: Canyon. about three and a half, four hours. So we're so actually we're closer. The Pennsylvania Grand Canyon is up in Tioga County, and we're actually closer to the Finger Lakes of New York State than we are Philadelphia. You know, Phil we're Philadelphia is of course in the southeast portion of Pennsylvania. We are way up in the north central. Uh, it's right up in Tioga County. It's it's we call it the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon. It's sometimes already it's all it's sometimes called the the, the Pennsylvania Gorge and it's a lovely area with with lots of wildlife and wild eagles and osprey and deer. So it's it's nice and rural here. We're part of what's known as the Pennsylvania Wilds.
1: Pennsylvania Wilds. Okay. That's, That's a new thing. one but thing. but you it makes me think of like the Poconos
0: we're uh we're a couple we're about 3 hours from the Poconos we're but that's more up we're up there but we're we're uh to the to the west of the Poconos and we're a little more wild than the Poconos Poconos are nice I mean we, we have those mountains we're up in the hills of Pennsylvania uh, and, but we're uh, a little more wild than the Poconos
1: okay what what inspired you Kevin to sit down and start writing children's books well, my, my
0: first book was actually a children's book. Like Hobo Finds a Home was, I wrote that about 11 years, 11 years ago, probably, no, because time goes by faster every year. So that was back in 2007, so that's actually 12 years ago. And I wrote that because it was very organic, it was very natural. Um, Hobo Finds a Home was the story of how my cat, Hobo, come to live with me. And it would be the story that I would tell my my nephews and my nieces how my cat come to live with me because i grew up with animals but i grew up with dogs and we didn't have cats we our dogs were big dogs that didn't really get along with cats so what cats i i saw were usually at you know other people's places and at the time i didn't have a cat and hobo the cat this little cat started hanging around where i was living out in the country and Of course, I hate to see anything go hungry, so I would put out some food for it. And I didn't have a cat, so I didn't have cat food. So I put out some tuna fish. And, of course, you can't feed a cat tuna fish every day. So I I, I went and got some cat food and started feeding them. And it was out in the country, so there were skunks and raccoons and this big fat cat next door who would come over and eat the food. So I would bring the food in (laughs) to make sure that the little kitten would have a chance to eat. And from there it was, you know... I might as well just adopt him because he just kind of moved in and rearranged the furniture, and before I know it, I had a cat.
1: (laughs) And just that that simple, uh, cats, you know, they're so independent, you wouldn't think they'd come in. But maybe they read people really well and they know who to go with and who not to go with because my friend, somebody left a cat in the apartment when they moved, I guess, and then she took that cat in, but... They're so independent, you wouldn't think they'd just go and, hey, I'll hang out with you for the next 10 years. <laughs> but but they actually they actually do. Have you written, before we go in and talk about the Totally Ninja Raccoons, which I'm excited to get into, but uh, just uh, uh, I wanted to ask you, have you written any adult novels? And if so, I was going to ask you which is easier to write for our listeners who are writers. Is it easier to write for children or for adults if you've written adult novels?
0: I, I I have written one adult novella. I wrote Operation Ragnarok, which is a fantastical um, adventure story. And actually, I would say it's it's harder to write for children. You know, if I, oh, if, um, interesting. Per thousand words, I spend more time. Now, of course, a novella it took me longer because it's longer. But per like say per thousand words is it's actually I feel it's actually harder to write for children. And when you write for children, and this for me. To, to really do it, I feel you need to access this the childlike part of yourself. So it's it's harder to not only does it take longer, but you have to. It's harder to get into that 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 mindset of writing for children, because sometimes if I you know if I'm feeling particularly grumpy that day, or if I had a bad day, it's harder to write for children because I need to kind of put that aside. Sometimes if I'm writing for an, and you also have to be more appropriate, because sometimes I'll write something for an adult, like it's, you don't have to worry about it, because okay, well, is that appropriate, but you write something for a child, and you want to make sure that it's appropriate for the age that you're writing it for, and then at the same time, one of the hardest things about a children's book is because you want to write something that a child will enjoy, but you also have to write something that an adult will buy for a child, so there's Mm. also that aspect of it. Because sometimes uh, you see so. a children's book, and, and it's like, oh, that's a great book. That's a book that a child should read. And we can all agree that, yes, that is good, that a child should read that book. But at the same time, you want a book that a child will embrace reading, that will love reading, that doesn't feel like, I have to read this. So, yeah, it's a, it's more challenging to write a children's book, I believe.
1: And you know what? I've heard that. I have heard that from some, I, I mean, Top-selling authors who have said, and then some people say the shorter the piece, just the more challenging it is. You have less time to tell a full story, but to keep a child's attention and not write down to the child. And, again, the parents gotta want to buy the book as well. It's just so many, the illustrations, the stories, and I think a book series is just great. Once they fall in love with the characters, then the kids going to, I want to get that ninja raccoon book number three. <laughs> they want to know what's going to happen next. Now, Beverly Cleary, she was a highly celebrated, talking about children book writer, she was highly celebrated on her 103rd birthday, and she's famous for the Ramona books, and I read some of those when I was a kid, and they were written for the third to fifth grade levels. And that character was honest and spunky, and readers definitely knew what Ramona was feeling. She was very direct, her character, and she was she was empowering. She made it, you, you could be confident to express what you were really feeling or thinking. What, what do you hope to gift your readers with? So Beverly Cleary, I remember this, not only the excitement, but she let you know it's okay to go through this. Ramona's going through it, too, and it's okay to feel this way or... And this is what you might do. Look at Ramona. What do you what do you hope to gift your readers with when they finish reading one of your children's books? Well, one of one of my goals with the series is cuz like the Totally Ninja Raccoons,
0: see they they choose to become ninjas because they already have the mask. And, and what that is is like sometimes you just have to go with your strengths. So like the the origin story, like when I was writing the first book, like the first book has their origin story of why they decide to become ninjas. Is you no, know, they're going through their favorite restaurant, which is for raccoons, is usually the trash cans, and this big guy comes out and he shakes their broom and he yells at them and he says, "Get out of my trash, you little thieves!" You know, the raccoons <laughs> look at each other and like, "We're not thieves. You no, know, this this food was thrown out. It's fair game. You no, know, we're not going to be why be ordinary bandits when you can be ninjas?" So a lot of times it's you know, what I want. Kids to feel like I want them to be empowered. I want them to be curious. You know it's you know I want them to you know not have somebody decide what to, where to put you. you know it's, Everybody's had pro, like has had somebody who has talked down to them or said, well, you can't do that. And you know I want them to realize that you know you, you know being something a lot of times is a choice. and you know so they choose instead of being, these you no, know, a lot of times people a a common nickname for raccoons is trash pandas. And you no, know, why be a trash panda when you can be a ninja?
1: Okay. Why be when you can be when you can be a ninja? I was gonna ask you, so did you see some raccoons? What happened? How did you get the ideal for this ninja? We know like the ninja turtles. I just think this is so cool. Where did you get the ideal for the ninja raccoons from? Did you did you see, a, a really in life, a raccoon doing something, a team of raccoons? And that's how you got the idea.
0: Well, kind of, because I, I live in rural Pennsylvania, so raccoons are something that I see frequently. And there's also a story about that because, I mean, I love raccoons and I love watching raccoons, and raccoons are little ninjas, but it goes back further than that. So I'm a, My last name is Coolidge, and, of course, there's a president, Coolidge, which was – was a former president of the United States, and President Coolidge had a pet raccoon in the White House.
1: Oh.
0: So so my joke is kind of that Coolidge's and raccoons go back a long ways. You know, so he had a <laughs> pet raccoon, and actually he had a pet raccoon. He had several animals, but one of them was a raccoon. He was a big, uh, President Coolidge was a big animal lover, and my family is a huge, are huge animal lovers. We grew up with, with animals, and I love raccoons. How they have their dexterous little hands, and I'm like, they would just be perfect ninjas. I mean, turtles. I I love the ninja, the ninja turtles, but face it. I mean, raccoons are natural ninjas.
1: <laughs> they do. You know, they they are like when you, when you think about it, they're very active, and and they just. Especially if they get upset, you don't want to be in their path. If they if they get angry, can you now give us an overview of the Totally Ninja Raccoons? Yes.
0: So the Totally Ninja Raccoons is a series I wrote specifically for reluctant readers. You no, know, those readers that you no, know, they're not so they're they're not necessarily love reading. These are to really. You know, interest re- re- like readers—they're about second to fourth grade level, and I specifically wrote them for that age level. With uh, fairly short chapters, each chapter has an illustration to draw kids in. It's about the three brothers who—you know—they have adventures and they learn something in every in every book. And every book also has a cryptid. Now, a cryptid is a creature that is un. Realized by modern day science. So an example of a cryptid is Bigfoot, um, the Loch Ness monster. So each one of these has a cryptid in it, and it's you no. Know, they usually, they usually investigate the cryptid or something happens. Like for example, the first one, the the Toli Ninja Raccoons meet Bigfoot. This is sets up the premise for the series, and the main antagonist of the Ninja Raccoons, which are, which is the catboard. Have you ever heard of the cat board?
1: No. Bigfoot, I've heard of Bigfoot. I never heard of the cat lord. Is this like the Bigfoot where people think this really exists? The cat
0: board, well, I love love cats, but face it, cats kind of want to take over the world. You probably suspected (laughs) that. Uh, So the cat board is a secret organization of cats who want to take over the world. So the first what the first book does is sets up the cat boards. So what it does is like the totally ninja raccoons decide that they're going to become ninjas. But what do you do if you're a ninja? Well, you need a ninja job, right?
1: Okay. So the ninja
0: raccoons answer an ad put out by the by Gypsy who is head of the cat board. See what I know about the cat board is Gypsy is my cat at home. So Gypsy okay. looks, so Gypsy hires the raccoons to capture Bigfoot Now they don't ask why But why Gypsy wants them to capture Bigfoot Is so that Gypsy can use Bigfoot's powers of stealth In her quest for rule domination But Gypsy Uh-oh. doesn't want to pay the raccoons She ends up Double crossing the raccoons And the raccoons let Bigfoot go And become friends with Bigfoot So you know, so what I do with this And that kind of sets up The, you know, the cat board as, as the bad guys and a lot of the books are basically cats versus raccoons. So, in the, for example, in the Christmas edition, the cat, the is raccoons and the Catmas caper, What the cat board decides that they're going to rebrand Christmas, call it Catmas. Everybody gets an empty box and a kitten, and the raccoons have to rescue Santa Claus because the cat board has somebody kidnap Santa, and the cat and the raccoons have to. Rescue them and save
1: Christmas. Yeah, these stories sound so cool. You know, they sound the the um, they're written for children, but we all have a, the kids still in us. They sound like, um, and I love the illustrations as well. Is there a main character who appears in each book in the series, or if there's several, like the three or four raccoons, what are, what are they like? What's each, well, what are their names, and what are, they, what are these, each of these ninja raccoons like?
0: So there's, uh, there's three brothers, and there is Rascal. He's the shortest brother, and he loves donuts, and he's great with his paws. He makes really cool gadgets. He's a little goofy and loves both his brothers, even when they pick on him, but maybe not right then. So I do a lot of, of you know, they're brothers, so I do a lot of sibling um, dynamics, then there's Bandit. Bandit is the oldest brother. He's tall and lean, and he's super smart. He loves to read. He leads the Tolly Ninja Raccoons, but he couldn't do it by himself. And then here's the middle brother. The middle brother is named Kevin. He might be the middle brother, but he refuses to be stuck there. He has the moves and the street smarts that the Tolly Ninja Raccoons are going to need, even if it sometimes gets them in trouble as well as out of trouble. So the, the, so each brother is in, the, is in each book, and then I have Gypsy, who is head of the cat board. And she is kind of the cat who, you know, she's not really good at being bad. She's the not-so-bad guy, but she's, she's in most of the books, and she sets up, you know, eats, she tries to take over the world in several of the books, and the totally ninja raccoons have to stop her.
1: <laughs> so, is she? So they're the three brothers. <laughs> Are there other raccoons that come out to help them, or without? I don't want to get the books away. And then is this this cat? She's just looking to take over the world. Is she doing this all by herself, or does she have a team of folks helping her out?
0: She has a team. So, for example, they have. um There aren't any other raccoons in the books, but each. But there are several members of the cat board, and I have picked different cats to kind of give that, that international flavor. So there's Gypsy, but then I use Huck and Finn. Huck and Finn are the cats at the bookstore. So we have cats at home, and we have cats that just live at the bookstore, and they are named Huck and Finn. They're brothers, so they are on the cat board, and they kind of use, you well, know, they're kind of uh, comic relief. You know, they they say funny things back and forth to each other. And then there's Velvet, who is our cat at home. I gave her a, a part. And then the one, there's also, I sometimes introduce other members of the cat board in different books. Like for the book on the, the tolly Ninja Raccoons and the Secret of Nesmic Lake, that one has a Loch Ness Monster. And that one I introduce, because the cat board is international, that one has a Scottish Fold named Scotty. A Scottish Fold is a certain breed of cat that started off in Britain, and, uh, you know, they have, like, the folded floppy ears, and they're a Scottish fold. I also have a Persian cat that quite often sits on the board, as well as a sphinx, which is one of those cats that doesn't have any hair, you No, know, because they're kind of an Egyptian flavor. They're actually from Canada, but, you know, people think that they're from Egypt, so I kind of put, I put her in there for kind of a, an international flavor and I introduce different members of sometimes different cats depending on you know depending on the scenario
1: and such now are all of these ninja uh, the the ninja the cats the raccoons are their experiences are they all outdoors
0: um yeah most of them are outdoors cuz the totally ninja raccoons well, they have this clubhouse okay? and you no know, so uh, there are some scenes that are in a clubhouse that you no know, cuz the, the totally ninja raccoons clubhouse is actually a secret it's hidden in, in a junkyard they have this little white house and then and some of them are in a cave so gypsy has you know like a lot of bad guys she has this secret cave that's underneath her house that she you know that she plots some of the some of the cat boards so there's there's some inside scenes there's a lot of outdoor scenes like for example the pennsylvania grand canyon is is a major feature here in Tioga county so there's several scenes that take place outside like in the canyon or on the Pine Creek Rail Trail, which is um, along the bottom of the, of the canyon that goes through, so it's a lot of outdoor scenes. There's a uh, the Totally New raccoons meet the low green men is at a takes place at a, most of the scenes take place at a, a, as a state park, so it's a lot of outside. Encourage children to be outside, and you no know, reading is very important, but it's important to. You know, to to get the full experience of life. So a lot of that is outside, and you know, doing some hiking and doing uh, doing exploring. You know, some of the things that I did when I grew up. I mean, I loved to read, but I also loved being outside and you know, playing in the playing in the creek or going for a hike or playing in the woods. And those are all experiences that I feel are, are very important for a child, as well for a you adult.
1: know what. You I I couldn't agree with you more. I grew up when. Kids did go outside and play, and you don't see kids outside riding bikes and skateboarding and just running, jump roping, and you don't see kids outside. I know that we got our video games and social media, but I wonder what generations from now, if people don't switch back, what that's going to do to us as humans. When I grew up, you were kids. We played outside all day long. You weren't in the house. But now it's almost just the opposite. So I, I appreciate that you uh your stories encourage getting outside and, and and being active. Can you tell us about the lessons that the raccoons learn in the Totally Ninja Raccoons meet the Weird and Wacky Werewolf? What are some of the so, lessons kind of that lesson. they learn? So
0: the lesson with that is cuz the, the Weird and Wacky Werewolf there it's there's kind of two lessons with that. And I feel like with these I I don't lecture I I the legends the the lessons kind of come within the context of the story. So for the in the weird and wacky werewolf, what they're doing is it starts off with a baseball scene. So they're playing baseball because baseball and and sports and team sports very much encourage teamwork. So no, so the so they are ninjas, but they're brothers, so they all rely there n- n- no one of the ninja raccoons is the hero of the story. I mean, they rely on each other. They all have their strengths. But you know they're very much a team. So with baseball, you might be a great, you know, you might be a great hitter, but you, you know, but the game isn't all about getting hits. So it's so with I use baseball and the first scene to kind of give the, you know, to show teamwork, to show that that's an important part of life is being able to be a team. And then the second lesson, see the weird and wacky werewolf. I don't want to give too much away, but but these aren't these aren't too scary. Child, children, and of course me, why I put cryptids in, because I love cryptids when I was growing up. I still do, but one of the lessons is that things aren't as scary as what you think, because the werewolf turns out to be a 12-year-old boy named Billy. So he's actually, in the book, he actually turns out to be more like a big shaggy dog than a real scary werewolf. And that's one of the lessons, too, with these is that most of life isn't as scary as what you think it's going to be. I mean, like, most of the cryptids they meet, they become friends, they learn about them. It's in the back of each book, I have a little bit about the creature, and, you know, and I encourage children to, like, are werewolves real? Well, you know, read about werewolves in other books and decide for yourself. So I want to, one of my goals with these is to encourage curiosity, and, of course, not just read my books, but to read, but to love, to learn to love reading books, and read about some other books about werewolves, and you decide for yourself if it's real or is it just mythology, and and it's it's fine to love it if even if it's not real. And that most of these things that you think are scary—I mean, you grow up and you might be afraid of some of these things—and they're not as scary as what you think they're going to be. And you know, knowledge and learning about something
1: will will
0: make things less scary.
1: Okay, and and and, and do and agree with that. And you know, in books, are for the imagination anyway. So when you're when we're writing like fiction, people you know depending on like sci-fi and stuff. Although some sci-fi movies, I look today like with the robots and artificial intelligence, and I'm like, what well, are science fiction writers really just making all that up, or were they ahead of the uh, ahead of the curve? Because some of these movies, I'm thinking, and I think some of this stuff could happen or is happening now. But generally with fiction, you know, some like sci-fi, like I was saying, you just suspend your you suspend the the, uh, the part of you that critiques. Is this true or judges? And you just enjoy enjoy the ride. Now, do you read your books, uh, the Totally Ninja Raccoons and your other st- stories? Do you read them for schools? And what's that experience like when you're getting ready to go into a classroom and read to a group of uh, students?
0: I I do I do uh, do read to students. We uh, I do school visits. I've done several school visits. I've done over. 20, twenty, I've done probably twenty school visits where I go in, I talk about my books, I, I I talk about the writing process and I read and I and I'll read I'll read some of my books aloud and you no, know, it's that's one of the things where I say like writing for children is harder, but it's much more I think rewarding than writing for adults. Because an adult, if they like your book, you know, they might say, Ah, eh, I like that but if a child likes your book, I mean he's enthusiastic about it, I get I'll I'll often get fan mail, so like I love reading the children. I still, I still, even though I've done it before, every time I do it, I'm still a little nervous until I start. But I mean, one of the things about, you know, presenting the children and reading the children is, no, they love it. It's like they, it's it's uh, it makes a big difference, and no, they're always enthusiastic, and and it's it's definitely more rewarding. So I, I do love you, do having you, them ask questions.
1: Okay, no, go ahead. Do you use props? Do you use props when you go in? How do you, like, to get the kids ready or the teachers get them? I've worked with, like, Junior Achievement, and they the teachers get a lot of that going. When you go in to read, it's like a a reading hour for the kids. Do you bring in, like, props and uh, uh, pictures to help really stimulate their imagination before you start to read?
0: I'll sometimes bring in some props. I'll pro- sometimes bring in like uh, a stuffed raccoon, and what, quite often what I do when I do my presentation, I'll, I'll do a little PowerPoint, which I, I'll do some pictures. I try not to do too much because I want you want an, I, you want enough to to you know, boost their imagination, but you don't want too much to distract. So one of the mm. things when I read is I try to be very, and this is no, this is taking some time because um, i I'm used to reading aloud, I try to be very enthusiastic because quite often when somebody learns when somebody reads aloud some some people don't like reading aloud, and I understand that, but sometimes they're when they don't read they don't like you, you have one of the things when I read is i I think of it as almost like an actor. I've done a little bit of acting now on a lot, but you you know you put yourself into it like I do the voices i I do the enthusiasm. You know, I'll do some movement, like you know, when I when I read, and I might put my hands in the hips, and I, you know, and I make sure to be loud enough for the kids to enjoy it. So I really put myself into into the story when I do it, and that I feel really um, comes across and really makes the kids enthusiastic too.
1: Oh, you know what? I can tell you from your interview here that that you're good at at, at doing that, and I'm sure the re- uh, students love to hear you read read to them. That share. What have kids and their parents? What have readers been saying about your books, Kevin?
0: Oh, the, the kids love the books, and that's that's one of the things. Like I said, that makes it so rewarding. Is I, I'll have, I'll have like fan mail. I mean, I've had several pieces oh. of fan mail where they'll, they'll they'll draw me a picture and then they'll mail it to me. I had I did oh. this event back in March in which. I, I i was at a, a school event and i i sold several books and then the father because i have of course in the in the modern age i have like my rep, website address in the back of the book and the father emailed me and said you know we we bought these books and you have a new fan my my son loved your books and he actually wrote his own ninja raccoon book and that's one of the things that you know is what makes it so worth it so not only does he love my books which is great that's You know, that's a reward in itself, but he felt the need to write himself. So, I mean, here I am, I might be, you know, that might be the next great American author, might be that boy, he might grow up and be an author. And if he doesn't, that's fine too, but he loved something enough so that he felt he had to write it down. You know, he had to do his own story. And that's one of the things I want to accomplish with my books is, because we're all natural storytellers at heart. And, you know, storytelling is, I think, is at the heart of, know of our civilization, it's what we passed down even before we developed a written language. You know we did storytelling and that you know and that was how we passed on information so to to have a child embrace that is one of the things that you know really makes it worth it
1: okay, okay um, and then I wanted to ask you because with children's books, and i I think some adult books might start novels moving this way because to get the full experience, you know, we got our audio books, you got your uh, children's books, and then people need, like, the all the more the senses you can get involved in the story, I think it's may it's e- maybe easier for a reader to connect more fully with the story. So with children's books especially, it's the illustrations. So where did you find the illustrators for your books?
0: Well, the illustrators come from, like, one of the, is well they mostly come from people that I know, so i'm I'm lucky with you know being a, being a writer and being in a bookstore. I get to meet a lot of people and I get to meet a lot of creative people so actually the I was really lucky the the illustrator of the Tollys raccoons is actually a longtime friend of mine that I grew up with he's he uh, he lived in he went to school in tagoga county he he now lives in Florida. But no, I grew up with the newman for a long time, and when he lived here, because I had this idea for the Ninja Raccoons quite a while ago, and you know, I talked to him, and he drew up what's known as concept art, some of the some of the ideals for the Ninja Raccoons. But I got busy with life, and I put it on the back burner, and then I finally decided that it was time to write him. But so he is, so we do it the old-fashioned way. I mean, he 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 draws them, and then he digitalizes them. So when we do it in the book. And then for that, some of the illustrators from my other books are because you know every illustrator has their own style, and so so I have uh, some um, some other friends that do some of the other
1: books. Okay, so you you you're very. I would say, uh, and I I don't do children's books. I'd like to, but uh, I do adult fiction. But you, it sounds like you're very fortunate. You knew people already that you do. You could get uh, to do the illustrations for your book. That yeah, said, I already. Yep. No, go ahead.
0: Okay. Oh yeah, no, go go ahead.
1: Oh, so what I was going to say is, so you knew p- people who already illustrators, What advice would you give to an off-the-shelf listener who is that's the, they're like this is the last piece, it's the last thing I need before I uh, publish my children's book. They're looking for a book. Children's Book Illustrator, what advice Would you share with that person To find a good illustrator
0: To find a good illustrator Well the the the, the best The best thing to do is To ask, is to put it out there Because you know, that's how I found these That's how, how I found my illustrator Because every illustrator has this own Piece of so the latest illustrator I knew I'd actually been friends with for quite a while I'm like, you know, I bet you she would like to do that So I asked You know, and it's, And it was her first It was like, on uh, the illustrator that I used for Molly, the dog with diabetes, that was the first book she illustrated. She's been doing art for a long time. But that was the first book she'd done, and she's like, I would love to. And, of course, she's used, like, I'm, I finished another book, and she's working on the second book. So the best thing to do is to put it out there. You know, it's, you know, whether you put it out to the universe, but you have to do, you have to take action. So it's like, you know, I just, you know, whether it's posting on social media, you say, I just finished my children's book and I would love to find an illustrator. Do you know anybody? You know, talking with people, you know, you know, bring it up in conversation and see if you find the right person for you because every every book, every illustrator has their own style, so it's finding the right right one for you. And you no, know, I really recommend this you know, doing that. And, and are there I any places that you Any places? Well, it's uh <laughs> No, there's nothing like you know, in this in this day age of social media and such, there's nothing like this you know, meeting people face to face. So whether it's a small like I like to as a writer, I like to do several small festivals. So if you're you know, if you are in a you know, if you go to a small festival and there's somebody there as a writer, you know, talk to them and see if they have any suggestions. So for example, like my my illustrator she's currently working on something for me, but she would like to do something else, so I know it's it's not like she's gonna illustrate just for me, so asking somebody who's already done it is is fine too say oh i love I love the books I love the illustrator on the Totally Ninja raccoons. Can I have his name like does is he interested in doing more and Of course, I've worked with him on nine books, so of course, I love his work, so i would I would recommend him. There's nothing wrong with asking that. Um, there's maybe you have a friend that is, you know, this that you know is an is a artist. Maybe they've also wanted to do a children's book. So just asking, it's you no, know, it's for me, it's still that one-on-one connection that is seems to be the most beneficial. I mean, you can put it out there on Facebook and you might get somebody, but that talking to somebody who's already done it is is a great way.
1: So let's talk contract really quickly. And this wasn't a question I had uh, designed. Oh. Had planned to ask you in advance But just talking about the illustrations Because I do know a writer When her first self-published novel came out She thought, oh, maybe I'll sell a couple hundred copies And she was really hustling it But it hit the New York Times bestseller list And the illustrator came back like, I want more money And this was a person who was adult fiction Who just illustrated her cover So you know, she said, "Just you got to have an ironclad contract. I don't care if you're working with a friend, as this person had been a friend, and I don't know if that kind of did something to the relationship. But what 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 is it like? A putting together a contract for you as the writer, the owner of the book, and now you, the illustrator, is coming in. Similar to when you work with an editor. Do you have any tips around that for our listeners if they're looking to? To come to agreement, terms, a contract, and working with the illustrator, especially if the book really, like the what if the Totally Ninja Turtles, uh, Totally Ninja Raccoons book takes off? I mean, it could just take off, and then there's millions of dollars involved. Do you know, can you give some tips around that, contracting with an illustrator?
0: No, that's a great question, and actually that's something I'm, I'm just at that level where, you know, I'm, I am working on that myself, so I don't, like, I don't have a lot of useful tips. What I do with now, what I've started to do, because like with the Totally Ninja Raccoons, you no, know, I've just paid my, I just paid my illustrator. But you no, know, I don't. It's a good idea to have a contract. Now with, uh, with my picture books, I've, I've set, I've, I have set a set amount, and we don't have a, a physical, we don't have a contract, and that's probably something that I should start looking into. You know, i've just done a set amount of money and once she's paid then that is that's it and then if the you know if the books take off then you know she's already been paid though i would probably you know try to do something like a bonus or something but um i don't have a lot of useful answers for that that is something that you know one of the things as an author is that you're always learning yourself even as long as i've been writing because of course i've been writing the, the totally New raccoons for Actually, this month it's been four years. They've only been out a little bit over three, but, of course, by the time I started writing them, it's been I finished my first one just about four years ago, and I'm still, there's always something new to learn, and that's something that I feel
1: I need to learn more about. Yeah, you, especially, especially if you—if you, if those books take off and all it takes is one school or the child of a, you sell your book to a child and their parent is very influential, and boom, It takes off, which is not a bad thing to have to deal with, but um, just something to be prepared for. The lady I'm talking about, she didn't think, I don't think she thought it would hit the New York Times bestseller list, but that was one of the things that came up once it did. Um, So your books are written predominantly. I know you work with fourth graders, but just to let our listeners know, know, what age group are your books written for?
0: Well, the reading level is about second to fourth grade. So mostly second to third grade is where it seems to be the the target. I do have younger readers and older readers. So, of course, younger readers, if they're really good, because one of the tricky things about writing for a child is reading level is quite often all over the place. But that's about what the reading level is at. Now, sometimes I'll have younger readers if they're really good or if no, it's never too young to read to a child. You can read way above a child's level if you're reading to them. And actually, I have had children even older than than fourth grade love the books because they like the subject matter. So, But that is where the focus is. Like when I do a talk, it is mostly when I do a school presentation, it's mostly like second and third graders, though I've done up to fourth.
1: Okay. Now, do you find, Kevin, Uh, that schools, this is something that I always think, but it could be wrong what I'm thinking, but do you find that schools and libraries are open or maybe even more open to carrying children's books? Because you don't see children's books, I don't think of them as like e-books. That wouldn't fly so much. But do you find that schools and libraries are open to carrying children's books?
0: Yeah, they're definitely more open because it is, because you know, schools and libraries really focused on children. You know, it's kind of the same reason why I focus on children, because it's so important. And like I said, I've been doing the bookstore with my wife for almost 13 years, and this comes from my experience. So these books, why I chose to write for this demographic is because I found that right around second grade, if a child doesn't embrace reading, then they start to fall behind. So that's, where, that's, that's one of the reasons why I chose to write for that particular age group. Now, you no know, earlier books. I do some picture books, and that's important. And writing for adults, that's important too. It's not like there's something that's unimportant. I just felt that that was in stage from my personal experience that it was very important to hit. So, and then, and it's good that you mentioned books. So, like the Totally Ninja Raccoons are only available in print format. Now, I did an adult book, and that is from that's you now I made that available as a real book, a real physical book, as well as an ebook. But I haven't done that with the or totally raccoons because I feel and I've and i I feel from my personal experience and also from research I did, that having a real physical book makes a big difference. So yeah, I do feel that schools and libraries are uh, particularly are more likely to have you as a guest or a visiting author if you do a children's book. i've been I've been invited to several local libraries. I mean, I've been invited to libraries down in Harrisburg and I am uh oh. Harrisburg is about three hours from me. So I actually have a small fan base in Harrisburg and they are uh you know, they'll invite me like they've had author events and I have had several libraries from an hour away invite me because, you know, they know how important it is to for a child to embrace reading early in life.
1: I just think it's awesome. <laughs> I think it's awesome and I love I love those totally Ninja Ninja Raccoons. Um, now I wanna talk a little bit about my shelf books and gifts. When did your wife and you open My Shelf Books and Gifts?
0: Well we, we opened for My Shelf Books and Gifts in July of two thousand and six. So that was Oh, almost, okay. So it'll be it'll be thirteen years this summer that we've been that we've been operating the bookstore and actually we, we did that before like when I when my what? When I met my wife, um, I didn't meet my wife until I was in, in my 30s, but we uh, we actually met doing um, a local play festival. Like I said, I've done a little bit of acting that much. I'm not, I don't consider myself that great an actor, but one of the reasons why I decided to be in a play festival is that they were having a contest for a, pl- for a written play. So I wrote a play, and my, my play didn't win, but I decided that one of the best ways to learn more about it was to be in a be in a place, so I can learn about it from the inside, and actually, I met my wife at that time, and my wife is a very big reader, you know, she's a bibliophile, and she was selling books part-time online, and I had, I was selling some online as well, and so we kind of combined our inventory, Um, we were selling some books online, and we quickly outgrew our, one of the things that we love to do as a couple was go to book sales, like at a library, or, you know, when they have, like, the library used book sales, we would love to go to those and buy books to sell, you know, to sell in, in, online as well as to read in person because we're, you know, we were huge readers, but we quickly outgrew our our small apartment, and this little place in our hometown opened up, and we decided to open up a small bookstore with just. We started with just used books, and we started with just three thousand, which might sound like a lot, but it didn't take up very much space. We started with maybe eight hundred square feet. And then we added some new books. We started with a wholesaler, and we added books, and we outgrew the space. And we went to uh, – we're now in our third location. So it's – no Wow. Deep deep down, but, you no, know, we have probably about about 50,000 books right now and about 1,200 square feet. And we started off with about 600, so.
1: Impressive. You say that like it's some small thing. and It is – Oh my
0: gosh!
1: So well, it's an independent.
0: A, it's a, it's, yeah, it's well, it's a lot of work. So it, it is, uh, you know, it does take a, a lot of work, and you know, we work at it pretty much every day.
1: An independent bookstore, though, in these times, these Amazon times, still growing. Tell us, please, where My Shelf Books and Gifts is for anybody tuning in today or in the archives when the, the show hits the archives. They can stop by and support my shelf books and gifts.
0: Well, from my shelf books and gifts is in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania, and of course I very much encourage you to do there. Come here. We do a we're a great uh great tourist town. We have a lot of outdoor activities. We have the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon, uh we have the Pine Creek Rail Trail, a lot of um nice little shopping areas. So you no, know, so we're right on East Avenue in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. And of course you can you can support us even if you never come to Wellsboro. You can support if you want to support a small independent bookstore. You can go to wellsborobookstore.com and you know we we sell things online all the time like in this internet age we do you can order from our website and we do ship. Same thing, you can order now the totally Ninja raccoons and all my books are available wherever books are sold, but if you want a signed personalized copy, you can come to wellsborobookstore.com. And order a, a book for me um, as as an author, or you know, I, I having a small bookstore. I love bookstores in general. So if you're lucky enough to have a bookstore in your town, well, you can. If they don't stock the totally Ninja Raccoons, they can order them. So you can order them anywhere. And like I said, if you're ever looking for, like, we get lots of people from the Philadelphia area. Where you know we're up here in the in the mountains of Pennsylvania. So if you live in the Poconos. Um, we have, we have. Even though Poconos are nice, sometimes it's nice to get away. So we have visitors from the Poconos, uh, Philadelphia. We have a lot of people from the Lancaster area come up and and see us. We have this Memorial Day weekend. We have some people. We just had some people from uh, Baltimore, Maryland, come in. We have a lot of Canadians um, that visit Wellsboro.
1: Oh, interesting. What has operating? As uh, we come down, about five minutes left in today's. So what has operating a bookstore taught you, Kevin, about book marketing and book selling?
0: Well, it's 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 taught me a lot. So I mean, it's especially as a writer. So it's it's like it's important to to get the idea for your book across. And when you're writing a book, you it's it's that finding that balance of writing a book that you want to write, but also finding uh, but also writing the book that that is going to sell. And sometimes you know. It's sometimes that's two different books, and sometimes it's not. But you no, know, because you can write whatever you want, but it doesn't mean that it's going to sell. So it's 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 interesting. I'm always you know it's one of those things that you're I'm always learning. You no, know, because sometimes it's a great book. Like and if you have a book, an idea for a book that you've put out there, trying to find an agent, and an agent said no, it doesn't mean it's not a good book. It just means that they don't know how to sell it so it's, it's learning how to sell your book it's basically learning how to find your people that for that book you now for example Operation Ragnarok is a great book but it's a little niche so finding that right finding the right person for it has been a little bit tougher the Totally Ninja Raccoons is a wider audience and that is something that I found to be easier to sell because kids love it i mean people love Operation Ragnarok but it's it's finding the right audience for it is a little bit tougher so it's you no, know, it's finding that right audience for the book. You know, every book is there for a reason, and not every book is for every person. So it's really defining, because one of the things I find with authors, especially, like, smaller, independent, as they say, my book is for everybody. And it's you, not. Know. you know, even the Bible isn't for everybody. It's a big no, it's a great yeah. book. But, you know, but if you're but there's 20 like only about 20 percent of the of the world's population is christian so if you're trying to sell that a bible to and there's look how many translations there are of the bible there's the King james it's the you know there is you know, the the niv the kjv so it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's finding the right book and describing it so if you're learning to like if you want to my advice to a to an author is if you want to is to read a lot of the books that are like yours and then use some of that to describe your book. And then they do that when it comes to screenwriting. They'll say, like, this 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 movie is like a combination of Stand By Me mixed a little bit with Night at the Museum. So it's kind of finding that. But each book is unique in itself. But you want to say what it's kind of like so that you give people an ideal. And then you can refine that as your book becomes more prominent. You can refine that. So when somebody is... Trying to uh sell their book to me as a bookseller, I need to know what it's like. I have to need to know like if it's going to meet my customers' needs, so that's
1: mm. I hope
0: that's useful advice
1: yeah and you, yes it does and and we're coming down to the wire. I had a lot of other questions I wanted to ask you, but definitely want to ask you this one really quickly. What tips can you give writers to get their books in front of booksellers?
0: Well, actually, I wrote. Uh, I wrote an article as that because since I am both an author and a bookseller, I actually wrote a piece that is if you Google Kevin Coolidge and Ingram Spark, there's a piece I wrote because my I, I use my publish my books with Ingram Spark, so it's used Kevin Coolidge and Ingram Spark. If you Google that, they'll come up with a with a, a little article I did of how to get your book in front of a bookseller so what you do that is what you need to do is you refine your pitch you tell me what your book is like um you do you have to know kind of what as an elevator pitch because i have to know if it's something that is going to meet my customers needs like one of the things i always try to do because i have as a books as a bookstore owner i have authors email me all the time and i try to look at each one but you know there can be a lot so you need to have it be small, concise you need to have it so that I have to, so I can look it up and say, okay, this is something that I know my customers will like. Because there's some things that just aren't going to, because I know my customers. So there's some things that I'm not going to be able to sell. Doesn't mean it's not a good mm. book. I just know that it's not good for my demographic. Because sometimes okay. it's interesting because there's a lot of tourists that come here in the summer as opposed to winter. So it's almost like two different bookstores because. I'll have some visitors from bigger metropolitan areas, and so a book might sell here in the summertime, but it's not going to sell out of my store in January.
1: Uh, interesting, interesting. Oh, thank you for sharing those tips. I'm sure our listeners will appreciate. Where can Off the Shelf listeners get copies of your book?
0: Well, you can buy the copy of the Totally Ninja Raccoons from me personally at com. And, of course, you can buy it wherever books are, so you can get it. Like I said, and, of course, I love I love bookstores, having a bookstore, so I, I like to support small business. So you can go, to, if you're lucky enough to have a bookstore in your town, you can go to the bookstore and say, could you order me a book by Kevin Coolidge, The Tolling Ninja Raccoons? And they can. Or, of course, you can buy it online. You can buy it at barnesandnoble.com. You can buy it at amazon.com. Um, you can buy it at walmart.com. There are several places, and they're even available internationally. So, you know, with, when this goes out, I mean, you might have listeners in the U.K., and I've actually sold some of the Tolling Ninja raccoons in, the, in, in, in Britain, and that's a lot of fun, too, to be able to get a, a royalty check mm-hmm. that come from the U.K. So it's, you can get them wherever books are sold.
1: Okay, okay. And if, are you on any social media networks, Kevin, before we sign off today? Can
0: you let us know if you're on I, any social media networks? I sure am. I'm I'm very good at social media. The Tully Ninja Raccoons have their very own page. I also ha- am the From My Shelf Books is also very big on social media. There's a so like we're a small town, only about 3,000 people. But From My Shelf Books and Gifts has a Facebook page following that's international. We have almost 12,000 people that are fans. So you can go on there and learn a little bit more about for My Shelf books. We post lots of fun uh, literary stuff. We post jokes. We post events. We post things about the Tolly Ninja Raccoons. You know, so you can catch you can catch us on uh, Tully Ninja Raccoons or for My Shelf books and gifts on Facebook.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have had the absolute pleasure of having kevin coolidge he's the author uh, of several books including the totally ninja raccoons book series which we focused on today but he's authored over 11 books and he owns with his wife my shelf books and gifts you can support them online or offline there in pennsylvania please visit kevin coolidge online at authorbookings.com forward slash members Forward slash Kevin Coolidge, and he just told you some places where you can catch him on social media. But you can hop over to Amazon or go to my my shelf books and gifts and get copies of the Totally Ninja Raccoons by Kevin Coolidge, and that's C O O L I D G E. Thank you so much for being here with us, Kevin, and we want to thank all of our listeners. Those of you who tuned in for the first time today, and our loyal listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. And as I always tell you, remember you are marvelous. You are incredible. You're awesome. Have a wonderful day. Kevin, I'll shoot you an email. So enjoyed your interview, Kevin. Bye for now. Thank you so much. Bye.